Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. After traveling in the Himalayas for 11 years, living in monasteries and doing retreats in a cave, Lisa Reinhardt thought she came back to the U.S. to share what she'd learned about meditation. After an aha moment eating chocolate, however, things got really interesting. And now as the founder of Way of Chocolate, Lisa delights in giving people permission to eat chocolate every day without guilt. Having compiled reams of research and distilled what exactly differentiates healthy chocolate from run-of-the-mill candy, she believes that a daily piece of chocolate can be not only a path to health and wellness, but a way to bring the benefits of meditation effortlessly into our modern and busy lifestyle. When she's not pouring over the latest research on the health benefits of cocoa, you can hear you can find her traveling to far off places. Her latest project is Every Woman's Dream and it launched this fall. She has a subscription program that brings chocolate to your door so you never run out. I'll have links to Lisa's website on my interview page. Lisa, hello and welcome to my show today. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. So, you have an interesting backstory because people are thinking, okay, Himalayas, retreats, monasteries, chocolate? How does that all work? So can you start off like from the beginning? It's it's a funny story because it's not it's not the way people think it must be. You know, mm-hmm. to be a chocolatier is all, already kind of uh, an interesting occupation. And and it wasn't something that as a kid I saw Willy Wonka and I said, oh, that's me. You know, I have to do that. I really had no idea that I would end up uh, working in chocolate. I, I grew up in a small town in western New York, and it was one of those places that had more cows than people. And I was that kid that always felt out of place and didn't know why. And And uh, it wasn't until I graduated from college that I got a fellowship to teach English in France. Totally opened up my world. And I moved to France, and there, after I had uh, worked at the fellowship for one year and that ended, I went to Paris. I became a nanny because I just couldn't go back, you know, once, once I was in uh, those exotic places. I met somebody from Asia, and he was telling me about things I'd never heard of before, and I had to see them for myself. So I left France, went to Asia. I ended up living there for 11 years. And it was there that I found a place that I really felt at home. Um, I was really lucky I met you know people I would consider to be the meditation masters of the 20th century. And, and I studied meditation um, really deeply. And when it, I felt that, you know, the currents of life were pushing me back to the U.S., I thought, well, you know, there's no point fighting against this, that if this, you know, thing called meditation works here, it ought to work there. Um, so I came back to the U.S., and, and I, as I said, you know, I thought, I thought I came back to share what I learned about meditation, but that's when things took a funny turn. You know, I love that. And I really just want to break right there for a moment just for the listeners, because so often, you know, people go, okay, this is what my vision is and this is what it must look like, right? And you kind of had that, you thought meditation. And 
and what people don't realize is that sometimes we go through processes and then there are different paths. And that sounds like what happened with you is that you, you had this windy path that led you to all these different places. And then you wound up coming back here with an intention. But then again, the path kind of veered in a different direction. Right, right. And it was and it was really challenging for me. You know, at that time, I had a very set idea about who I was and what life was like for me. And, you know, in Asia, I was totally into, you know, the spiritual world. That was who I was. And I thought that there was a, a distinct um, difference between spiritual and material. You know, mm -hmm. the, the people who had jobs and who went to work every day, you know, that was something else. That wasn't what I did. Um, and I think really that's the reason I had to come back and, and do things the way they ended up because I had to realize that there really isn't a division between spiritual and material, that that was all an artificial construction in my mind that wasn't helpful. And it certainly didn't support my spiritual path um, like I thought it did. Ooh, can you say more? I got tingles when you're talking about that. Well, it's, it's really interesting, you know, because um, I think especially now, in, in the way that the world is now, it's really imperative that there be no separation between spiritual and material. That in order for us to um, reach, you know, what we want to happen in the world in a really big way, you know, the world, you know, in some, in some ways is headed down a dangerous path. And we need the people who, um, who see the bigger picture, who feel it on a really deep level, to be totally involved in uh, what used to be called, you know, mundane life or, you know, um, a lay person's life. Because without that, um, we haven't got the holistic view that we need to guide the world in the way that it needs to go. Mm -hmm. So it was really, you know, integrating that. And actually, you know, the whole thing about money. You know, I lived in Asia. I lived on, sometimes I lived on a dollar a day, um, you know, really at a very simple level and I didn't have a good clear relationship with money mm -hmm. and so coming back to the U.S. and really discovering that business could be a path to deeper understanding uh, a path to benefiting others and that money was just a simple you know difference of uh, the form of energy that it took um, and becoming really comfortable with that that was really I think an important part of my path. You know, and I think that's such an important point because people will say, oh, if you're going to go in the spiritual path, right, then it's about letting go of material goods and letting go of money. But you're showing you're showing in your journey, in your life journey, that it can be, it doesn't have to be an either or thing. No, no. In fact, I think, I think in order to attain the things that we, we want to on a spiritual level, we really have to dissolve those differences completely. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Um, and why do you think that? Um, because anytime we hold a really fixed idea about, um, you know, one way or the other, then it tends to not go back to reality. It tends to go back to a fixation, a concept that creates walls. And in order to um, you know, really see things clearly. We have to disrupt those old patterns that may not be really about what we think or believe. It could have been something that was either uh, implanted from our childhood or something that we misinterpreted at some point but became fixated 
in our worldview. And so it takes disassembling those to really um, see how all things are interrelated. Okay. So let's go back to this, this journey, this path that was setting you up to become a chocolatier that you had no idea about. So you've come back to the U.S. thinking that you're going to teach about meditation and then what happened? So every time I brought up the idea of meditation, people would get that kind of, you know, like deer in the headlights stricken look on their face and they'd say, oh, that thing with the breath. You know, I, I, I tried that once, but I had way too many thoughts. I, I wasn't good at it. Um, and I really just don't have time. And so it was like, boom, the door would slam. You know, I thought, whoa, you know, I think based on what I've seen in Asia, like I saw people who practice meditation for 30, 40, 50 years and how uh, it transformed lives in a way that we, we hadn't seen yet in the U.S. because we just didn't have that kind of history with it. And I thought, wow, I think people need this. And I think, honestly, I think they're looking for the benefits of meditation, but we just can't do it in the traditional way. You know, nobody's going to abandon their families, their jobs, their iPhones and go out and, you know, live in a cave. It, it's just not part of our culture. So it was uh, about that time that I realized that if you take a really good piece of chocolate and you let it melt in your mouth instead of chew it, that you'll do pretty much the same thing that you'd want to be doing if you were learning meditation, except you'll do it better because you've got an actual good reason and, and really, you know, compelling, enjoyable experience of resting in the present moment. And so, you know, I never met a person who said, I'm not good at it. I don't have time, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> so chocolate was a yes. It was really an, an open path. And I thought, ah, oh, this could work. Story, it makes me think of how it's this term that I use about bettering it right? When yeah. we have this task and, you know, a lot of us, it's meditation in the Western world, like, okay, this is another thing we should do, right? To be, to be better. And that just adds, you know, eventually we just feel guilty because we don't get it done. But you're right. When we, we can make time for chocolate and when we give ourselves that permission and then you sit there and learn how to meditate with that, it's like, you're almost getting a two for one, which, you know, in our society, we like to multitask. Oh, for sure. It's the best kind of multitasking there is. Um, you're right, because it's at least it's at least two for one. And I mean, what happened from there was I looked at this and I thought, oh, you know, score. Like, this is a path that'll work in the West. But there was this part of me that was like, oh, you know, I can't do this because it would be bad for people's health. Mm -hmm. You know, it was this moral dilemma of, you know, I'd come back from the third world, I'd seen what was going on there. I got back here and I was honestly surprised because I didn't expect to see as much unhealthiness as there is in the U.S. And I thought, wow, you know, there is no way that I can contribute to people's ill health by, you know, giving them something that's, you know, too sugary or, you know, not good for them. Luckily, what happened right around that time was these studies started coming out about how chocolate could be good for you. And, you know, I, I'm sure when we all first heard that, it was, you know, raise the eyebrow and say, wait a minute, you know, all that chocolate I ate as a kid was not good for me. Mm -hmm. um, how did this happen all of a sudden, you know? So I dove into the research and I started connecting the dots because there were a lot of different studies going on, but, but few of them look at the, the whole picture and see how they relate to each other. And what I realized was there were some fundamental choices that you could make that would change everything. And that chocolate could become actually a vehicle for, um, you know, not just not 
bad for you, but actually, honestly, um, a path to health and wellness. And so what are these differences? Everybody's like on the edge of their seat. How can we eat chocolate and give ourselves permission and not make it bad for us? Right, right. And there's a, just a couple of key things you need to know. One of them is, you know, like everybody's heard that, well, dark chocolate's better for you than milk chocolate. And, and the reason that I think a lot of people still have that lingering doubt is because that's not enough information. Most dark chocolate that's commercially made still has milk in it. And what the studies have shown is that milk is actually the culprit. That's the issue. Just like, you know, some kind of medications, you can't take them with dairy or milk. Uh, in the same way, you, you can't have your cacao or your chocolate with milk or it will block the absorption of all the health benefits. Oh, so you don't want to be eating your chocolate and drinking a glass of milk. No, they tested that too, and they found even that um, would block them. So, so you have to look at the ingredients and make sure that the chocolate that you're eating is dairy-free. Okay. And once you've got that, I mean, that's the major line. Then your body finds that those antioxidants and things are, are bioavailable. Um, there's some other things that we found too that, that became increasingly important the more research I did. And one of them is that it be organic. Um, you know, in the beginning, I thought, well, geez, you know, do the pesticides really get through to the, you know, the part of the cocoa plant that we eat? And it turns out they do, that when they test chocolate, they find not only the pesticides that are allowed to be used in chocolate, you know, which honestly, they do all the things that you'd expect pesticides to do. You know, they cause cancer, they disrupt hormones, they, um, you know, they have lots of negative effects, but they also find pesticides that have been banned for a long time that are really toxic, that are used to kill head lice and stuff like that. And the crazy thing is that the more expensive the chocolate, if it's not organic, the more pesticides they find in it because they find that these companies are trying really hard to protect their crops. And so they dump more and more pesticides on them. Oh, okay. That's, I think that's dumbfounding because so the more expensive the chocolate, here we're thinking if we spend more money on this chocolate, we're going to get a better, healthier product. And you're saying that's not the case. Not the case, unless it's organic. When it's organic, they don't use pesticides. And then there's another really important thing that organic uh, does for it that has only become important in the last year or so. And this one, I mean, honestly, nobody is talking about this. And I think this is huge. You ready? Mm -hmm. About a year ago, the major chocolate companies and we're talking, you know, Hershey's, Mars, those kinds of companies, they started using genetically modified sugar in the chocolate. Sugar. Yeah. Sugar, GMO sugar comes from sugar beets. And uh, unless it says cane sugar, which is not GMO, or organic sugar, which is not GMO, if it says just sugar with no other adjective, then we have to assume that it comes from sugar beets, which about 90% of it does now, and that that is genetically modified sugar. Now, the reason that's important, I don't know, um, if, you know if everybody's aware of the whole debate around labeling GMOs and, and why you know, we want to know they're in our food, but in the U.S., we don't have good protection in place uh, as far as um, you know, GMOs reaching the consumer. The kind of testing that the companies who use GMOs have to provide to the FDA, it's not third party, meaning they do their own testing, you know, so it's like, you know, you ask your kid, did he clean his room? And he <laughs> says, yes, you know, um, it's not long-term testing, which means they only do 90 day studies, which just show that if you eat it, you don't drop dead immediately. Um, and it's not non-biased. So 
there are places in Europe where they have been doing long-term studies, meaning multi-generational studies. And what they're finding is huge red flags. Like we, we really have to test this stuff before we release it on the market. They're finding liver and kidney damage, reproductive damage, infertility issues. Um, and the scariest part for me is when you look at how GMOs are made, you know, it's, it's something that would never occur in nature. It's not like, you know, hybriding a plant to, you know, increase the, the, the bean, you know, yield or something. It's, um, they take a gene that is totally foreign to that thing that would never in a million years be able to find its way into that plant. And then they use something, they, they looked at, you know, like what can do this process efficiently of inserting these foreign genes into the genetic material of something else. And they said, oh, Viruses and bacteria do that. That's what they do. So they use viruses and bacteria to insert foreign genetic material into a totally different um, genetic, you know, um, code. So what that means is they haven't tested that part either. And when we ingest them, those things continue to do what they do. And they're finding that it's disrupting the probiotics in the gut. The reason that that's important is because that's our first line of defense. That's where, you know, our immune system starts. And it's really raising a lot of questions about, for instance, why are so many more people these days getting food sensitivities and food allergies? Why is there so much gluten intolerance? You know, all of these things that's all starting in the gut. And there are people who believe that it is the, the part of the GMO, you know, that gets that foreign genetic material in there that doesn't stop when it gets to our digestive tract and it keeps doing what it does, which is messing with um, some really important uh, physiological functions. Wow. And that's all from GMO sugar. And GMO sugar. It's also in GMO soy. A lot of chocolate has soy lecithin mm -hmm. in it. So unless it says GMO uh, you know, GMO-free soy, then that, then there's two things in there that are genetically modified. So I want to talk about the soy as well, because I interviewed a uh, Melanie Warner um, and she writes for the New York times and we talked briefly and I didn't realize the significance of soy being in our foods and the disruptions that it can occur. And your chocolates don't have soy. Right. Which is incredibly rare. Like I, I can only think of probably less than a handful of chocolate companies that don't use soy. The ones who do use it, they say it's an emulsifier. Mm -hmm. That means it's holding together, you know, like the cocoa butter and the cocoa mass. But we make it fine without that emulsifier. So I'm guessing that the reason they use it is for shelf stability, which means that they can keep it for one year, two years, you know, sitting on a shelf somewhere, um, which means it's for their convenience and their profitability, not for the health or even the flavor for the... Um, the consumer. And so um, why did you decide to take out the soy in your chocolate or not put soy in your chocolate? Well, the, the two reasons, you know, one is that people have become more and more sensitive to it. We get people who request it, who are allergic to it. And then although our chocolate had always been GMO free and organic, uh, I just wanted to remove any more, you know, worry that people had that there might be genetically modified ingredients in there. You had said earlier that uh, it's not just the dark chocolate being healthier than the milk chocolate, but it's having chocolate without milk because the dairy inter interferes with our body's abil ability to um, absorb the antioxidants of the uh, chocolate. And then it's also important to be organic because of the pesticides and how they can disrupt our bodies and our hormones. 
Mm-hmm. And then the other one was the GMO sugar was that because of what it can do to the gut. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so those are the three things to avoid. Then that therefore chocolate can be healthy to eat. Right. Right. And then, you know, as a, as another thing to look for, uh, one of the things that's huge in chocolate is fair trade. You know, the, uh, cocoa was indigenous to central and South America but they transplanted it to Africa because it would also grow there very well. And now 70% of the cocoa in the world comes out of West Africa. Unfortunately, 60% of the labor force is under the age of 14. And they estimate there's about 10,000 kids who are the victims of child slave labor working on cacao farms in West Africa. So the big companies have known this you know, for a long, long time. It really came out to the public uh, about the year 2000 when they actually intercepted a slave ship and people were outraged. They had no idea this was still going on. And, and then it, it spawned the fair trade movement in uh, cocoa. So, for instance, we get our cocoa from Ecuador, where it is certified by the Rainforest Alliance. They have um, you know, social justice uh, criteria in place, as well as um, sustainability um, guidelines and things like that. But it's really important to look for some kind of, you know, indication of fair trade practices, because if it's not there, that explains why you can walk into a grocery store and buy a bag of those, you know, little pieces of chocolate for, you know, two bucks and, and something that like what we produce is, uh, admittedly a lot more expensive. And that's because somewhere along the way, you know, somebody's not getting paid. Um, and we just don't want to support that. So there's a, there's a bit of the, when you're talking about fair trade, it's about social responsibility, right? Yeah. And creating the world we want to create. You know, we think kids should be eating chocolate rather than, you know, wandering around the jungle with a machete and and hauling bags that are too big for them and not going to school or getting paid. You know, I love that because that goes back to originally when we were talking about business and connecting, you know, the spiritual and the material and about, you know, um, the world and how to make the world a better place. And so then creating your business, I think not only are we talking about chocolate here, but we're also talking about, you know, being an entrepreneur and how you can make a living, but within the values that are very important to you. That's huge. I mean, that was really the joy of starting my own business was realizing that I write the rules now, you know, <laughs> that, that I don't have to do it the way that everybody else did it. And, and I can make choices that, like you say, reflect my values. And I remember in the beginning when I told someone what I wanted to do and they said, oh, you'll change, you know, you'll, you'll make milk chocolate, you know, because it sells so much better than dark chocolate. You'll make a lot more money if you do that. And we just couldn't do it. You know, once, once you know what you know, you can't go back. And, and that's where having your own company is really uh, the most fun because, you know, you write the rules. Do you think it helped you because you, at one point you were living on a dollar a day? So you've already, because a lot of times what ignites people to kind of lose their own values is that fear of, oh my gosh, that scarcity mentality of, if I don't do this, I'm going to, you know, be living in a van down by the river, but you've already kind of like, you know, in our culture, been down on the bottom, being able to live on a dollar a day. And you realize that it's not that bad of a thing. Right. That's really funny because when we got back from Asia, I actually did live in a van for a while. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But that's true. You know, I remember when I was living in the cave and at one point my teacher looked at me and he said, wow, he said, he said, are you happy? And I said, I am so happy. 
And he laughed and he said, well, you, you know, basically you've got it licked because if you can be happy um, in this kind of situation, like everything else is easy, you know, this, this is a, this is a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. 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 I do. I do wonder if that's part of your strength and to be able to stay in, to stay in line with your own personal integrity in the business and not sell yourself out because you, it doesn't sound like you have fear of having less money because you've already been there and you know, it wasn't bad. You were happy. Right. Right. And you know, the funny thing is it's, it's just, I was lucky enough to be in that situation. I know that, you know, anybody else in that same situation, you'd find that mm -hmm. it, it really, it really doesn't rely on uh, the exterior, especially, I mean, I had incredible good support for uh, my inner world, you know, my inner life and recognizing um, what the source of happiness is, you know, that it comes from compassion, that it comes from kindness, that it comes from caring for others, and that the interrelatedness of us all is really, um, you know, a source of great joy. You know, there's one one story that I tell sometimes when we do a chocolate meditation. And when I used to go to India every winter, I would go to one place and I would set up and I would uh, do a meditation retreat. And then at breakfast time, I would leave my things and I would go out, have breakfast. I'd come back and do some more meditation. One day when I was out having my breakfast, this dog wandered, wandered by and it was, you know, like painfully skinny, like really on the verge of starvation. And, and its hips were only a few inches wide. And it was like, oh, I could see every rib. And, and so I got up and I bought a loaf of bread, which in India is, you know, cost like two or three rupees, which was about the equivalent of 10 cents. And I broke the bread into tiny pieces and I fed it to this dog really slowly because it was so skinny. I just thought, oh my gosh, it could injure itself if it, if it ate too fast. And that actually became a daily ritual that every day when I went out, this dog would come at that time and, and we would, you know, share a moment and share some, some bread and I'd feed it. And, and I did that, you know, consistently uh, all the time I was there doing retreat. And at the end of the season, you know, I just packed up and I went back to where I was living in Kathmandu. And I didn't really think about it uh, again for a long, long time. And, and a couple of years later, I was back there in that spot and I was sitting there at the same place where I used to have breakfast and a dog walked by and it stopped, you know, like, you know, like riveted double take. And then it got wildly happy and it ran over to me and it jumped up and down. And I realized that this healthy, happy dog was that same dog from a couple of years ago, except it was in, you know, a hundred percent better shape. Wow. And then, and then the dog ran over to the little bread stand and led me over to the bread stand so that I could buy another loaf of bread and, and feed him again. And so, you know, I tell the story because it really, it really, for me, it reflects like how even the littlest things make a difference. Um, that, you know, sometimes we go through our lives and we don't realize that the little kindnesses and, um, you know, the, the things that we do for others that we might even forget about that they go out and they have this ripple effect and it creates more happiness in the world, more wellness in the world. And I, and I had a teacher who said, you know what? He said, no matter how small, never stop yourself from doing something positive. And conversely said, and, and if you're doing something negative, no matter how small, you know, stop doing it because everything increases. And so we want to do as many positive things as we can that will affect the world well and, and they'll stop doing the things that might cause detriment. 
Wow, I really like that. And I think about like this, um, you know, how the little things can make a difference. And so here you have these little pieces of chocolate and you give, you're giving permission, people permission to eat it and to enjoy it, right? Because there's right. usually, especially with the clients that I work with, there's so much shame when mm. it comes to eating chocolate. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, and just this week we were talking and with my different clients and I said, can you just give yourself permission to eat and enjoy it? And they were yeah. like, you're crazy. <laughs> Oh, no, not at all. I mean, you're totally on the right track. And, and okay, I'm going to run a few health benefits by you so that if there's any shred of that, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, that this will eradicate it. Okay. So for instance, some Harvard researchers were down off the coast of Panama on an island, and they found these people, the, the Kuna Indian people, and they have 18 times less heart disease and 12 times less cancer than the Kuna people who moved to the mainland. And they said, wow, you know, why is this so? Because it's obviously not genetic. You know, they must be doing something. And they analyzed everything. And what they came down to was that these Kuna people on the island, they had no good tasting water there. And so they would boil their water with cacao beans, you know, like cocoa, and then drink that all day long. So no, they didn't use milk. They just used water. And that's what they drank. And that's what started all of the investigation into how chocolate could be good for you was discovering what the Kuna people were up to. So in the same way, like they continued the research they found, even with, you know, high quality chocolate, like, like what we've talked about, that is dairy free, um, you know, organic, even one piece a day that's about the size of, you know, that's about a quarter of an ounce, you know, the size of a quarter and thicker, that can cut the risk of heart disease by 57%. Wow. Now, if there was a drug that did that, you know they would be prescribing it to everybody, right? But this is chocolate. Chocolate has no side effects other than happiness, relaxation, you know, <laughs> enjoyment. Um, chocolate's a really good way to achieve that. And especially for women, because women, for women, heart disease is actually more of a danger than cancer. More women die of heart disease than cancer. So that means to me, that we're obviously not eating enough good quality chocolate. So all of this guilt that we've had around it, we need to get rid of that, right? And really embrace it in its highest form. And I want to say something because which we have this tendency in our culture that if, if a little bit is good for us, then more is even better. And right. that's not what you're saying, correct? Correct, correct. And that goes through a lot of things. Like, for instance, I meet people who say, oh, the other day I ate a 95% cacao bar. And I'm like, it tasted like dirt, didn't it? <laughs> and then and then they laugh, you know, like, well, yeah, actually it did. You know, it's that supersize me mentality mm -hmm. in everything. And, and like you say, it doesn't have to be that way. That actually it's, you know, a fairly small amount. And that's because of the quality. You know, I think that the reason that people get cravings for things and they eat too much, you know, candy level kind of chocolate is because their bodies are looking for that nutrition, for that thing that they know is in there somewhere and they can't find it or they can't find it in enough quantity to satisfy them. But when you have a really small piece of incredible quality good chocolate, you know, sometimes one piece is all you need. You know, I know we've all had days when we need more than one and, and that works too. Um, but, but quality here is so key. Well, you know, and that brings a point of, um, I think the other thing, don't you, is with a lot of these other, you know, chocolates that are out there, that the, the food is engineered to uh, get us to eat more. 
Exactly. Right. So there's high amounts of sugar in there. And then it just, it creates this, we have to have more where you become insatiable because you're kind of looking to, for that, to that hit to continue that buzz to continue. Right. Right. And it's funny because that came up too when I started the company and people were like, well, you don't really want to be telling people that they don't need to eat a lot of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I do. Because, you know, it's all about balance and, and doing what's good for the body. It's not about, you know, boosting sales by selling too much to people. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, that is really important because it, when is enough? And, and we tend to have this idea of value, right? It's that supersize. And right. so I could see somebody looking at your chocolate and going, wow, it's really expensive. But, you know, the bags of chocolate that I bought, I still have them in my pantry because mm-hmm. they do, they last for a long time. They're really, really satisfying. And and I will have a piece. And unlike when I ate the Halloween chocolate last night, it was very different and I wanted more. It was right. it was so interesting because, but it, and, but it also just didn't taste very good. It was really, really high in sugar. Yeah. And, and- um. And low in flavor. You yes. Know, all of that stuff has artificial flavors and, and all kinds of actually kind of bizarre ingredients in it to make up for the lack of cocoa butter, you know, high quality chocolate. Cocoa butter has amazing flavor to it. And it's also got a lot of health benefits to it. It's not a bad fat. That cocoa butter actually lowers cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And we've got people who have lowered their cholesterol between 20 points for a three-week period marked by blood tests before and after. One woman dropped her cholesterol 99 points in four months, and she attributes it to eating essentially a bag of chocolate a week, which is you know a little more than a piece a day, but um, it totally worked for her. And a lot of people have lowered their blood pressure by eating this chocolate. Why is that? Well, the, the medical studies say that if you have at least a piece a day for three weeks, it lowers it. They've, they've been trying to figure out why they think it might have to do with some kind of enzyme that gets supported by the cocoa. It could be, you know, you know, the funny thing is though about the medical studies is they always try to drill it down to one ingredient when in <laughs> fact, you know, cacao has 400 different kinds of things that are interacting. And that I think is part of the importance. You know, it's the holistic approach. It's not one thing that you can pull out and then chemically reproduce. It's, it's the synergy of everything working together. I think that's a really important thing because we are looking for that magic bullet, that magic pill, right? And and even with my weight loss clients, it's like it's a process and there's so many different factors that go in. But what I love about what you're recommending is you're saying one piece, you know, in the size of a quarter and it's something you can go test out, right? So if if you listeners out there going, oh my goodness, Corinne, what are you doing? What are you talking about, right? We're saying go test it out. Go find a really good quality of chocolate you know, take out that make sure that they don't have the things that Lisa talked about, you know, and, and test it out and and see what the results may be for yourself. Right. And you mentioned something I forgot to tell you about, and that is the weight loss Mm -hmm. um, things that happen. You know, I have one woman who just added one piece a day and then she wrote an email to me. She said, wow. She said, I've lost 10 pounds in the last two months without even trying. And she said, it it cut my cravings to other things. You know, I didn't get into the stuff that I usually get into. And she said, this is amazing. And I think she kept going with that. She might have been over 20 pounds last time I I talked with her. And got a couple other women who were on specific programs. Like one was on South Beach diet. um, One was on some other low-carb diet even. And both of them were adding one to two pieces of chocolate a day. 
to their diet. Both of them were thrilled. One lost 65 pounds, one lost 75 pounds. And the one who lost them more, she said um, that she's no, no longer in the diabetic range. And both of them said the same thing. They said, you know, why would I fall off my program when I know that I can have a couple of amazing pieces of chocolate every day? Mm -hmm. And isn't it great that it's like real chocolate instead of diabetic chocolate? Yeah. Yeah. People ask me, well, why do you still have sugar in there? Because there's two grams of organic cane sugar. And I say, you know what? This stuff is better than all those are alternatives, you know, like maltitol and, you know, the artificial sweeteners, you know, I, I think those are poison. I don't, I don't suggest those for anything. Um, there's some good natural sugars that it would be great. You know, there's maple syrup and, and coconut sugar and that kind of thing that, um, that we'll definitely look for in the future if we can get them in the, the format that we need, you know, to make it um, mm -hmm. the way that we do. But, but two grams of organic cane sugar, a diabetic told me, he said, that's perfect. He said, that's not enough sugar to trigger an insulin response so it doesn't set up a cycle of craving. Mm -hmm. And there have been other studies done with diabetics that find that um, even up to six pieces a day, which I think is a little overdoing it, doesn't affect their blood sugar, but it does lower their cholesterol and improve their heart health, which is the next thing that they look at after diabetes as far as health risks. That's really interesting. Um, well, And I think that you know, the, the, the satisfaction that you get from eating something because, you know, and I, I remember when that low fat craze was happening in the nineties, right. And everybody's mm. eating those things out of the green boxes and you may not have been in the country, but <laughs> I just, I, I, I can still see those green boxes and it was the food tasted like cardboard and people, uh. you know, when I work with my clients now, they have that story of they were gypped. You know, they, they got to eat that cookie, but it wasn't really real. Or I remember wow. my dad, who was a diabetic, and he had his, it was blue, like the sugarless ice cream, right? Uh. But it never really tasted as good. And the, the idea that you can eat something that's a real food, right? Yeah. And it uh, tastes important. good, and you can have it, and it feels, and it's satisfactory is huge. And I think that will help people, you know, and I'm thinking about a lot of my clients, it'll help them eliminate that story of, oh, well, I now am one of these other people that can't enjoy life. Oh, no. I think it's the opposite. You know, um, since I started the company, I've lost about 30 pounds. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, counterintuitive, right? Um, and I eat, honestly, I eat as much chocolate as I want. But that, that tells you how satisfying it is because when you let it melt in your mouth and you really just let your body and mind balance, you get to the end and you ask yourself, do I need another one or not? And you can believe the answer mm -hmm. when, you, when you slow it down, when you break that munch, munch, munch habit, you know, when you're really in tune with your body, you can believe what it says. Um, and honestly, there are days when you need another one, you know, <laughs> we, we've all had those days, <laughs> but sometimes you don't. And, and it's really liberating to know that, you know, this is empowering chocolate. This is not designed to, to bring you to that, you know, oh, I wouldn't have done that moment. You know, it, it doesn't happen when you, when you do it at the right pace. So I want to clarify for the listeners when you say you tell yourself that you can eat as much chocolate as you want, what does that mean? Well, I think, I mean, I, it's good to clarify it is because um, 
sometimes you have to go through, it depends on where your diet is to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have to go through a detox period first where you eliminate uh, the processed foods, the added sugars, the GMO ingredients, that kind of thing. Because uh, I think in the beginning, if we're eating those kinds of things, our body is confused. Mm-hmm. Um, like you say, it's looking for that nutrition. It's looking for that thing that it knows is there and it, it's kind of on the search and destroy uh, mode. Um, but once you allow it to rebalance and reset, actually, then it, it tells the truth. You know, um, what are you craving? What do you need? And I find that, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to be healthier and I, I don't want to regain the weight, you know, so I look at food um, really consciously. And I find that the more that I want my weight to be, um, you know, balanced, managed where I want it to be, the more good food I need to eat. So it's not, you know, like you say in the 90s where you're looking for all those uh, deprived <laughs> kinds of things. It's like, no, I want the freshest. I want the most local. I want the organic. I want, you know, like uh, this morning I had um, organic arugula, um, you know, with some really good eggs and feta uh, and an avocado, you know, and good fat. You need that mm-hmm. good fat in order to balance your blood sugar, in order to feel satisfied. Um, I think it's really, we, we got, like you say, we got led down the wrong path um, by that whole fat-free phase. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And calories just really, re- I mean, not calories, quality. <laughs> I can't believe mm-hmm. I said that. Quality really <laughs> matters, right? Yeah. The quality of food, because then you have that satisfaction and it, and it feels really good versus, um, you know, when you don't have, I think you're right, because when you're eating a lot of processed food and food that's not a very high quality, your body's kind of um, in this, in this like drunken state, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't really know what feels good and what feels bad. You're kind of in this fog. Right. And, but when you get, you know, really not, I don't want to use the word clean because that thinks people think of clean eating, but when you just eat food that really nourishes your body, yeah. um, you also, I find that I want to protect that, right? I want to continue to take, like today I'm not feeling so great because I did have that Halloween candy last night. Mm. Um, and I'm sitting here going, why didn't I have Lisa's candy? <laughs> 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 I need to start pulling that stuff out. But, um, and I know exactly why I had that Halloween candy last night because I had to write this letter of recommendation that was kind of creating some stress in my life. But mm. um, but the qual I, I really look at food is how can I fuel me? How can I nourish me? Right. You know, and I want to maintain, like what you were saying earlier, that balance inside of my body. Yeah. Yeah. Versus yeah. being that little wild child saying, well, let me show you I can have this. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, we all know it backfires on us. Yeah. Yeah, because the funny thing is like, I do, I do know that I eat chocolate when I have stress, but I think it's a result of physiological things. Like because chocolate lowers blood pressure, mm-hmm. you know, it's actually a good thing to eat when you're stressed, but it, it does require that, you know, you follow those guidelines, that it be healthy chocolate, that you don't munch it up, that you let it melt in your mouth. Um, and those things, instead of, you know, you know, setting you back, like you say, creating the confusion or the, oh, I don't feel very well now, you know. what I find is that it makes my mind clearer Mm -hmm. if you have the good quality chocolate because they they have great studies actually about how it increases brain function about how kids do better on math exams and they have less stress about it when they're eating good chocolate 
And I think in the next couple of years, we will see studies come out about how it actually helps prevent Alzheimer's. Um, because the indications are all there, you know, it increases blood flow to the brain. It's really good for vascular health. Um, you know, every, every month or two, I think we get another groundbreaking study about what chocolate can do, which is a really interesting point. I was at a, a talk recently by a doctor, Dr. Frank Lipman in New York City, he was saying how the Western approach is to look at the symptoms and treat the symptom with a, a drug. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Eastern approach, and he's an integrative doctor, so he uses both, is to look at the cause. And he said, in so many cases, the cause is inflammation. And then it will appear as any number of like a dozen different presentations. You know, it could be high blood pressure. It could be diabetes. It could be, you know, uh, all of these different things. But instead of, he calls it whack-a-mole, you know, like when you try to treat it with a a drug and you suppress that symptom, it'll pop up somewhere else as another illness, you know, like an autoimmune thing or something else. He said, instead of addressing the inflammation itself. And that made me excited because, of course, Chocolate is a huge anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we get so many good results with it, because it treats that root cause of inflammation. Yeah. And have you heard, and I can't cite this study, but I was just, I heard something recently, um, and it was from a cardiovascular doctor, and he had said that, you know, you had quoted about women having heart, dying of heart disease instead of cancer, right? Mm-hmm. And he had said that actually low-grade inflammation is something mm-hmm. that they are seeing to create the heart disease and the heart problems that we're having. So one yeah. of the things I've had a lot of experts who come on and talk about women health, especially early on in my sh- in my show, um, and you know it's it's kind of like the silent death, the silent killer, because the yeah. women don't when they go in and they go to the doctors, their results aren't the same as men. And so the doctors say, oh, you're fine. They go home, but then they wind up dying of a heart attack or something. Right, right. Um, But he was saying it was really low-grade inflammation. And and then that kind of made sense to me about, you know, why we need to even floss our teeth, right? Because of the inflammation in our mouth. Right. Right. Or or like I have a back problem. And so I've been constantly looking at ways of how to reduce that, that inflammation in my back because mm-hmm. even though it's my back, if that's if that's truly the case, with it can be damaging to my heart, and that can be creating right. plaque. That's something right. I need to be aware of. Huge, yeah. That I think is a huge key. You know? And I think it also explains, you know, for instance, why why women tend to crave chocolate more than men. You know, I think it's something that physiologically we have a much higher need for. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. This is very interesting. So we now have the health benefits. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I, and there's parameters. Like I always say that compassionate people have boundaries. So when I want to reiterate this one more time for the listeners is that you sit, you tell yourself that you can have as much chocolate as you want. And it's about really tuning in to listen to your body, not about, you know, consuming and being that wild child saying, I'm going to eat this whole bag. Right, or, right, you know, I'm right. a chocolatier and I have access to it all, but it's really about, well, what does my body want? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that is a very compassionate attitude to have toward yourself. You know, in the beginning, you know, you could, like my mom, you know, she takes it as a vitamin. She says, this is my one piece a day, you know, that I'm going to have and respects it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, if she's looking to, a, you know, she, she also experiments. Now she's trying two a day also to see if that will have a different effect on her health. Um, but to do it really consciously, um, 
and and respect you know what that thing is that it's uh like you say it's not a reason to go wild it's really a reason to treat yourself really well uh, and do it in that mindful way because you know if there's one thing that i could to every woman it's it's that break you know it's like every woman that i meet is working too hard doing too much you know uh on the run, on the go, helping everybody, you know, constantly um, doing something. And, and I ask people, you know, when was the last time you took two minutes to really have a moment for yourself? You know, just rest in the present moment. And that's what I like the chocolate to be for people is it's like that permission slip. It's like that, that trigger, that reminder that, you know what, this two minutes that I take when I let this melt in my mouth, that this can be actually uh, a productivity aid. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it goes back to that more is better, you know, mm-hmm. mentality we talked about earlier, where we think if we keep pushing, pushing, pushing ourselves and never take a moment that we'll get more done. But in fact, you know, the studies prove otherwise, that, that in fact, activity creates metabolic waste in our body, that if we don't stop and rest, that those will cause us to crash at the end of the day and also you know, we've all felt that, that feeling of burnout, you know, when we've been at it too long over a long period of time. And this can help us avoid that, is build in these two-minute breaks during our day where we totally just let go. We just rest in the present moment, enjoy the flavor, the texture, you know, knowing that we're nourishing ourselves. There's, there's something really important, too, about, like um, you alluded to earlier, about like just loving your food. Mm-hmm. You know, put that love into it, you know, because... If we're putting guilt into it, it does. It feels so different. Mm-hmm. So totally loving what we're doing and really uh, getting used to appreciating ourselves. I think those are are key things that um, you know we could all take too much to. Well, and and I think people are afraid, or at least with my clients and the women that I work with, is that they're afraid that if they love it, there's never it, it's never going to be enough. They're going to like open up the floodgates. And just totally want to consume. But I know that when I sit, you know, and um, and I'm really, really, I try to be practice being very present when I have chocolate or, you know, some sort of a dessert. And I really sit with it and almost meditate with it, right? Like be really yeah. present and taste it. And it's amazing because I don't really want that much. I get really satisfied. No. And, and it's those times when I'm eating that chocolate, like last night I was eating that Halloween chocolate and I was just biting through it. I didn't mm-hmm. really taste it. And I wasn't really satisfied. And then I wanted more. Plus, I was eating yeah. kind of, you know, crappy chocolate anyways. So, but when I really just sit with it, and, and I know your chocolates because I've had them and I really like them. But when I've sat with it and I just eaten one, I'm like, oh, it just tastes so yummy. Yeah. Right. And, and to allow yeah. that experience. I think we're also afraid to allow that experience. Right. And, and you're right, because the more that we love it, what I find at the end is that it doesn't foster this like, oh, I got to have more. It, what it does is it expands out from that beginning of, of, say, starting with a piece of chocolate. And then I feel it more in my life. You know, then I feel more appreciation starting with myself, but then with the people around me and then, you know, for the experiences around me. And this is another meditation that we do with the chocolate where we, we look at our lives and we say, well, you know, imagine like the person who made the chair that I'm sitting on. You know, that's a kind of, that's a form of kindness. The person who built the, you know, the, the building that I'm in, I couldn't do that. I, I really appreciate their kindness. And then expand it out, like, 
in our town, in our state, in our country, all the way to the other end of the world and think, you know, there could be somebody somewhere right now making something that's going to save my life. And the kindness of that. And I think that helps us understand the interrelatedness of it all, the interconnectedness, and take that experience of love and, and see it in its entirety, you know, that it really isn't fixated on a piece of chocolate, that it's really, um, you know, using the chocolate as a trigger to awaken to where that lives everywhere in our, in our lives. I love that. So I also want to talk about, because this ties into a guest that I had before, but about, because you have flower essence and you work with oh, Katie, who was a guest yeah. on my show, the flower yeah. alchemist. I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. Yeah. Yeah. That part is like beyond amazing that Katie makes these amazing things that come from flowers. She collects like the chi of the flower, the energy of the flower. And we put that into chocolate. She puts it into her other amazing products, but we have it in chocolate. And so as you're letting this melt in your that is going through your acupuncture meridians and rebalancing on another level as well. And so what we find is that people are drawn to the flowers that they need the most. So we put those flowers on the website so people can see, you know, but you know, the, the easiest way to explain it is if you think of a bunch of red roses and then you think of a bunch of daisies, they have a very different feeling about them. And it's not about the scent, you know, here that we are talking about and we're not smelling flowers at this time, but we do know the difference between how those flowers feel. And that's the part that's in the chocolate. You know, it, it, um, it satisfies another level of, of balance. I love that. So as we go now, what are a couple of takeaways for the listeners today? Uh, well, like I said, I think the, the most important thing is really give yourself permission to take that two-minute break. You know, you can do it with chocolate. You can do it without chocolate. But any way that you do it, the, the uh, studies now on meditation are undeniable. They say, I saw one last night, it was fabulous. It said, um, the people who meditate long-term are chronologically or physiologically about 12 years younger than their non-meditating counterparts. You know, so that's just one. But, but introduce that moment in your day when you can become, become truly present. And that's the foundation of meditation. And the second thing is to know that the small things that you do, the kindnesses that you do, the love that you put out in the world, all of that matters. Every bit of it matters. Oh, well, thank you so much, Lisa, for being on my show today. Oh, I loved it. Thank you. This is Corinne Modokaitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Lisa Reinhardt, and she has Way of Chocolate, and it's W-E-I of Chocolate, and the links will be on my website. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. 
My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide